very inauspicious, right? I was doing an, an online course. Uh, nowadays, you can do online courses with Yale University, you know, for free on moral philosophy uh, and moral psychology. And I came across something called the disgust scale. How disgusting are various things? The disgust scale. And they study what makes people disgusted and, and what offends people's sensibilities across different cultures or religions. And, and there are 32 questions, and you, you rate them. Not disgusting, slightly disgusting, or very disgusting. Now, I'm not going to show you these pictures on PowerPoint, even though I was very tempted to, uh, because it may make you puke. Okay, so let's have a go at it. On a scale of one, two, and three, yeah? Not disgusting, slightly disgusting, very disgusting. How would you rate the following? Somebody eats vanilla ice cream, but he puts ketchup on top of the ice cream. Um, having to pick up a dead cat with your bare hands, okay? No gloves. Pick up a dead cat. Or touch a dead body, a human body. Or look at an unflushed toilet after somebody has done his number one. Or see maggots crawling out of meat. Or your friend tells you that he changes his underwear only once a week. Seriously, this is part of the 32 questions. I did not make it up. And lastly, or not lastly, I just picked out a few. Uh, an adult woman having sex with her biological father. So, should I go on? Uh, I think you get the picture, right? Even without the picture. How disgusting. What about this? A pastor milks his congregation, asking them to give sacrificially, and then he himself takes that offering money and lives in luxury with six mansions, luxury cars, and his dog's house has air conditioning because the dog cannot sleep with noise. And by the way, he also have, uh, had an affair with the church secretary. This was in the 1980s, the, early uh, the late 1980s, and I'm referring to the infamous Jim and Tammy Baker. Or how about this guy who called, the previous guy who called Jim Baker a cancer in the body of Christ, who helped to defrock a fellow minister called Marvin Gorman for committing adultery. And then he himself was caught visiting prostitutes. And when he was confronted, he said, the Lord told me it's flat none of your business. He is Jimmy Swaggart, another pastor, I'm afraid. And in case you think this only happens to people who are called Jim or Jimmy, the next one is Ted Haggard. This, was 19, uh, this is 2006. And Ted preached against gay marriage and homosexuality, but was himself caught having homosexual relationships with another man. All these three are pastors, I'm ashamed to say. All these three are Christians. So, on a scale of one, two, and three, do you find it disgusting, not disgusting, slightly, or very? How would you compare that to an unflushed toilet? How, you, how would you compare that to touching a dead cat? And do you think this disgust scale varies across cultures or religions? I think it ranks pretty high up the discuss scale. And I don't think it makes a big difference whatever your religion, whatever your race. 
be a hypocrite. And so we are all disgusted with, with hypocrisy, <coughs> which is defined as the behaviour of people who do the things they tell other people not to do. The behaviour that doesn't agree with what you claim to believe in. That's hypocrisy. And originally it referred to play acting. An actor will put a mask over his face and participate in, in a play. I found some great sayings, you know, about hypocrisy. Uh, like, <clears throat> like this guy who said, I, there are only two things I don't like about the President of the United States, and that is his face. You get it, right? Two-face. Don't get it, huh? You guys have been eating too much at Chinese New Year. What about this one? It gets more and more complicated. The secret of success is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you got it made. Huh? Very cynical, right? And this one is really complicated. It says, I am not sincere, even when I say I am not. Okay, this one, you take the rest of the Chinese New Year to figure it out. Okay? It's, it's... And so it leads to comments like this. Say, I've got nothing against God. It's his fan club I can't stand. And people can see the difference between a fan and a follower. And as a pastor myself, I raise this, these examples with, with disgust, yes, but more with fear and trepidation. And, and I hope that my tone wasn't judgmental or, or harsh. In fact, some of the people, uh, uh, the names I have raised have, have repented. But to what extent, none of us can judge. You know, only God knows the heart. And, and I must not judge so that I will not be judged, huh? Matthew 7. So I think it's much better that we listen to the one we claim to follow. We think that we are very disgusted with hypocrisy. Let's listen to Jesus. Jesus was responding to tests that were given to him by different people, the Herodians, the, the Sadducees, and, and finally the, the Pharisees. And this is uh, Jesus' reaction in Matthew 23. So let's turn to Matthew 23. I'm Bits and pieces, I'm going to be reading through the, the whole chapter, Matthew 23. From verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on the garments long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master and you are all brothers." And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is just the intro. And then came his blistering seven woes as he stepped on many, many toes of the Pharisees. What was Jesus' tone? I think he was smart. 
which I think is a combination of sad and mad. Jesus was mad. Six times in Matthew 23, he called the teachers of the law and the Pharisees hypocrites. Hypocrites. So let's go. Seven folds. First one, what I would say is perverted teaching. Verse 13, Jesus said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourself do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. You see, Phariseeism was a, a private preserve. Sinners are not allowed in. Sinners and their sin are to be hated. And hell is gladly prescribed for all these sinners. And Jesus was constantly criticized himself for associating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And here you see pictures, unfortunately, most of them I took from America. And God hates you. You are going to hell. God hates you. Sodomites and abortionists and drunkards. God hates you. That's the spirit of the Pharisees. But what does Jesus say? In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Sinners, so do not prevent sinners from entering the kingdom of heaven. And, and let's not think that we are nothing like the Pharisees of Jesus' days. You know, Some of us also like to keep our faith a private preserve and our church a private club. When we see somebody who clearly needs Jesus in their life to help them, whether they are sick in body or in soul or in spirit, we want to keep quiet. We want to keep our faith personal, private. And so, by doing that, we shut the door to their salvation without calling them to go to hell. We have already shut the door by our indifference, by our holier-than-thou attitudes. That's the first rule. Second woe is what I may call perverted zeal. Let's uh, carry on, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Strong words. And this is the other extreme. Instead of shutting people from the kingdom, they take pains to win a convert, but, but a convert to, to what? To become like a son of hell. Like these pictures here of little children learning the hatred of their parents. God hates you. God hates America. God hates homosexuals. And even thanking God for dead soldiers because they do not agree with American soldiers going to Iraq or, or Afghanistan and when that soldier dies, they say God celebrates. Thank God for dead soldiers. How, how perverted is that? And then they will bomb uh, abortion clinics that they do not agree with and, and teach the little children to hate with a zeal like this. I know this sounds like extreme cases, huh? but let's move on to the third woe, which uh, I, I would call perverted honesty. <coughs> Verse uh, 16. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the goal of the temple, he is bound by his oath. 
you blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple which makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells on it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. The logic is somewhat involved here, but I see two meanings here. One, you want to swear to, to prove your innocence, for example. And, and therefore, it's not good enough just to go to the temple and say, I did not do it. You have to bring gold to the temple and swear by the gold in the temple. Who gains from the gold? The priest. You want to swear on the altar, but it, that's not good enough. You need to bring a gift to the altar. Who benefits from this gift? The priest. And so that's the perversion that was going on at the temple. On the other hand, if you look at it the other way around, it is also a loophole for dishonesty. Oh, what did I vow to God the other day? Oh, it's not valid anymore because I did not swear by the goal of the temple and I did not swear by the gift that I lay on the altar. So therefore, I am not bound by what I said. Someone once said, the finer the net, the more numerous the holes. Don't you think? And therefore, the more and more rules, I say, it's not the altar, it's the gift on the altar. It's not the temple, it's the goal on the temple. And the finer and finer you make it, the more and more loopholes you, you have. And the more legalistic you are, the more loopholes you have to wrangle out of it. And that's why the Lord did not specify, love your neighbour at least once every day and twice on Sundays. The Lord just said, love your neighbour as yourself. No loopholes there. No loopholes. It's like this store manager was, was overheard, uh, overhearing his clerk outside uh, talking to a customer. And this clerk was saying, no ma'am, no ma'am, we haven't had any of this for some weeks now and it doesn't look like we're going to be getting any soon. And alarmed by what his store clerk said, he, he dashed out into the, the, the uh, front of the store and, and, and said to the customer, that's not true ma'am, I swear to God that we have whatever you want. In fact, I just placed an order for it a couple of weeks ago. And then the, the customer was, was happy, walked out, thinking that a couple of weeks, uh, maybe a couple of days later, she will come back. Then the manager drew the clock aside. And I said, you never, never say we don't have something. We cannot show any weakness. Otherwise, the customer will go to our competitor. Now, what was it that she wanted? And the store clerk said, rain. Okay, we haven't had any for some time. We haven't had rain for some time. Rain. And that's the kind of perversion that Jesus was so upset about. Perverted honesty. Fourth woe, perverted priority. From verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guys, you strain out a net, but you swallow a camel. 
Have we swallowed camels recently? Nets and camels are, are dirty animals according to Jewish law. If we had swallowed a camel recently, we would have perverted priorities in life. You know, if you happen to be growing spring onions, I don't know how many of you maybe have a pot or that you grow some spring onions, you know, and then you want to use it for your congee. If you see 10 stalks coming out, uh, you should give one to the church, you know? Yeah, bring it here on Sunday and put it in the offering bag, right? One-tenth of minute, maybe not tang, maybe yim sai chong, parsley, you know? That's what they were doing, okay? They counted all these things. Now, if you were given some kwechi, melon seeds over the Chinese New Year, uh, that is sort of like income to you. You better go and count it, okay? Every tenth one uh, you should give to the church as your tithe. 10%. But if your employee's payday is due and you delay paying him or worse still, you shortchange him because you're so busy counting melon seeds to give one in ten to the church. Or then, then you would have neglected a weightier matter and that is justice. And if someone needs your help, which you can easily give, but you're too busy counting balances to give one out of ten, then you have neglected a weightier matter of the law. That is mercy. Or you cannot come to church today because you're so busy counting balances. You would have neglected a weightier matter, and that is faithfulness because you're too busy majoring on the minor and the minutia of the so-called law. It's like this man who goes to church and people observe him and he's always seated at the back. <laughs> he's always tucking his hand in his, in his pocket and no one dares to talk to him because he looks very unfriendly, doesn't dress very well, doesn't shake anybody's hands, and we say, like, announcement time, go and shake one another's, one another's hands. He doesn't shake his hands. He doesn't put anything into the offering bag. He doesn't participate by clapping his hands. He doesn't raise his hands in worship. At the altar call, many will come forward and kneel in prayer. He never kneels. Then the rumors began to emerge, right? This guy's probably not a Christian. If he is, he's not a very spiritual one. In fact, kind of hypocrite, right? You come to church, you don't even raise your hands in worship, you don't give offering, you don't do anything. What kind of a Christian are you? You're a hypocritical Christian. So one day the pastor was driving through a poor part of the neighborhood and saw this man. And he was just taking mail out of the, a mailbox and the pastor stopped and saw his hands. And his hands were badly disfigured. Badly disfigured. And he was dressed in shorts and he saw that his knees were even more disfigured. And when this man saw the pastor, he quickly shoved his hands into his pocket. And he said, well, I guess you caught me this time. You know, I, I was burned in a terrible fire many years ago. My hands, my knees, they were all burned. And I just didn't want anybody to know I live on a very small pension. That's uh, my life. I worship God. That's when the pastor discovered this was a humble, sincere believer who feared rejection, afraid to gross people out when he showed them his badly burned hands. 
whose knees were too painful for him to bend down at altar calls, and he was judged on the basis of not raising hands, of not giving, and of not kneeling. The church should have paid attention to justice, mercy, faithfulness, and not these itty-bitty things. And you and I know that churches have split over what we should use for Holy Communion. Is it going to be wafers uh, or bread or unleavened bread? And, and must it always be wine? Can't it be Ribena? Uh, one cup or many cups? And you baptize by sprinkling or by immersion? If it is by immersion, do you bend forward? Do you lean backwards? Do we have, should we have PowerPoint or, or hymn books and should we have drums or no drums, a guitar, electric, acoustic, bass, which one? You know, in, re- in the recent past, the Christian community have, have taken pains to prohibit uh, and, and to write arguments about why they prohibit many things, like jewellery, like makeup, dancing, Sunday newspapers. If it is a skirt, how long the skirt? Must it be inches below the knee, above the knee? And whether or not women can wear pants. Okay, okay, they can wear pants, but you must wear a skirt on top of the pants. It's true. Okay, all these things have been debated and written on. And these were in the 40s up through the 60s, okay, when Hitler was running rampant through Europe killing Jews, okay, when Black discrimination was at its height in the 50s and 60s. And the churches were talking about lengths of skirts and pants or no pants for women. So you, you major on the minor and you neglect the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. So perverted priorities is a perennial problem for the pretentiously pious which doesn't have a place in Pasir Panjang. Please. Many peace. <laughs> yeah, it's just quite sick, right? So let's look at the last two together, the fifth and the sixth, which uh, concerns purity. Well, I say it's perverted purity. Reading from verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You know, Pharisees have a, a very elaborate way of uh, ceremonial washing of the utensils uh, before, before they eat. Um, they also paint the tombs white, uh, especially uh, before major festivals, so that you will not walk and langa or hit a tomb and, and, and therefore uh, touch dead men's bones and therefore be ceremonially unclean. So that's the background behind that. But fans, fans also have very elaborate rituals, you know. Some people wear their lucky underwear when their team plays. 
so that the team will win. Others will sing, you will never walk alone. Okay, I don't want to rubbish Liverpool fans, uh, but others will do that. Very impressive on the outside, but dirty on the inside, full of dead man's bones. Righteous on the outside, but full of hypocrisy and wickedness on the inside. And there are so many illustrations to, 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 to give just on this point, you know. You've, you've heard the earlier three uh, about the, the pastors. Huh? And, well, but seriously, what about a beautiful car, fairly new, shining car, highly polished, full of stickers that say, trust in Jesus, follow me as I follow Christ, but it's illegally parked. <laughs> Same thing, right? And stories told about a church in a very rich neighborhood, and this new lady walks in and she was wearing culottes. You know what's culottes, right? So it's like skirt and shorts combined. I think that's what it means. Huh? A culotte is a shirt and a, uh, shorts combined. And sandals exposing her toes. Uh, clothes were old, they were faded, but they were clean, they were proper. But every other lady in the church was dressed to the nines. You know, they, they, they wore dresses, they wore covered up shoes, very proper, very prim. And then the preacher that Sunday was preaching about honouring God with our best. Honour God with our best. And that includes how we dress for church. Our Sunday best. No less. And then as the lady walked out of the church, you know, traditionally the pastor would stand there and shake hands. And, and the pastor leaned across to her and said, why don't you have a talk with God and ask him what he thinks is an appropriate attire for worship here. So the lady says, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that, Pastor. Next Sunday, she came back wearing exactly the same thing. The pastor was really quite unhappy. And again, at the door, shake hands, and the pastor said, I thought I told you to ask God what to wear before coming back to this church. The lady said, I did, Pastor. God says he doesn't have a clue what I should wear to this church because God says he's never been in this church ever. Or how about this one? Huh? This one applies a lot to pastors and elders. You know? So you approach someone and you say that, well, last week you said you will pray for him, you forgot. Then you say, God, I'm praying for this guy now. And then, oh, John, I've been praying for you. You get it? Just that split second before meeting him, I've been praying for you. Sounds like I've been praying for you all week. Hypocrite. John doesn't know but you know, and God knows. One of the most disgusting ones I came across as I was uh, researching this sermon is, is this. And, um, you know, waiters, there was this waiter in America who earns only $2.65, actually below minimum wage. That's his basic pay. $2.65 an hour. Even in McDonald's, you now earn $6 an, an hour. Uh, and they depend on the tips. Okay, And so, as uh, there was a Christian convention, and so all these Christians come into the diner, they eat, they leave, and then one of the Christians left this behind. And they actually took a picture. He said, wow, it's like a $10 tip. So the, the waiter was so happy. But when he picked up this so-called $10 note, it was this. It says, some things are better than money, like your eternal salvation, which was bought with the blood of Christ. And it quotes John 3.16. And so this person fed up, put it on Facebook, it went around the world. And there, the name of Christ was tarnished. I mean, what? 
I, I can't believe this. How would you rank this on the discuss scale, you know? And so we carry big Bibles to church, which we don't even read, uh, let alone obey. Now we carry iPhones and iPads to church so that when the pastor is preaching, you can serve, <laughs> and you can send emails, and can even play games, uh, pretending to, to worship God, and, 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 and you can look like you're taking sermon notes, but actually you're not. <coughs> okay, now ending already, ending already. Seventh woe, from verse 29. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if, you, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell. Therefore, I am sending you prophets of wise and wise men and teachers. Some of, you, some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flock in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. This is um, perverted reality. You know, um, I was reading Philip Yancey and he, he, he told this joke to his, his good friend called Mel White. He said, he asked, what is the difference between uh, a gay person and a Nazi? He says, 60 degrees. He says, a Nazi salute is like that. Salute is like that. And, you know, and Philip Yancey is famous for preaching about grace and he, he even joins, uh, he, he, he loves the homosexuals just as Jesus loved the sinner. All right? you, you love the sinner, you don't condone the sin. And then this person he told a joke to, Mel White, came out, he was a, a, a secret homosexual himself. Mel White was a gay person, was a pastor, was a lecturer at Fuller uh, Seminary, was a Christian writer, a husband, and a father of two. So you look at these two. Who's the hypocrite? Right? And, and Philip Yancey, thank God, had, had the honesty and the grace to write about it, about his own uh, hypocrisy compared to this friend of his. And that's the, the pervert reality means means, thank God I'm not like all these hypocrites, you know. Thank God. Uh, actually, God, thank you so much for this sermon that Kofi is preaching. And it's just a shame that so-and-so was not here to, to listen to it. A uh, bit of a shame that after I spoke about 20 minutes, actually none of it applied to me. Uh, thank God. But if we think like that, then the Lord Jesus has some words for us. You know? The Lord Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her cheeks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that was the mother, father heart of Jesus 
just bemoaning the hypocrisy of people around him. Seventh woe is perverted reality. It's, just, it's not real to me. It doesn't apply to me. I'm not like that. I'm not a hypocrite. Why are we hypocrites? Why do we get so upset when people call us hypocrites? It's because someone is passing judgment on us, right? And who are you to call me a hypocrite? <clears throat> what about God? Let me offer two hypotheses for hypocrisy. One is a fan follower problem. We are fans. <clears throat> we are fans of ourselves. And we are our own best fan. We are a fan club of one. Because we have double standards. One for others, one for ourselves. Someone once said that we judge other people by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. And seriously, I'm too humble and too honest to be a hypocrite. I cannot be, right? And, and wrongs are not really wrongs if it is done by nice people like, like us. I, I had no intention of, of being a hypocrite. Because we have this pride of life, we have taken from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we want to be like God to determine what is good and what is evil. Other people are evil, I am good. I have a weakness after all. In other words, we worship ourselves. We are our own fan. We value reputation and respectability over authenticity. Someone once put it like this, reputation is what you are in the light and character is what you are in the dark. And what dark characters we have. We judge others by their behaviour, we judge ourselves by our intentions. So it was very easy for Jimmy Swaggart to judge and condemn Jim Baker for adultery but it was very easy for he to excuse himself because I never really intended to visit a prostitute. It was just a moment of weakness. My intentions were pure. His actions were bad. It's like this woman who was working in her garden one day and uh, weeding the plants and planting new and, and she was all soiled and, and dirty with dirt all over her hands and even on her face. And she looked up and saw a moving van come in. Her neighbours were just moving in to the house next door. And then the neighbours got out of the house, uh, got out of the car and immediately came to introduce themselves to her. So they spoke for a few minutes and the woman who was doing the gardening invited the new family to her house for dinner that night. When they finished the gardening, she went inside the house and they told her husband, hey, our new neighbours are coming in for, for dinner tonight. Let's get ready. And then she began to dye her hair. She began to put on false eyelashes, began to put on makeup. And the husband was asking, hey, only neighbours, you know, only neighbours. Why go through so much, so much uh, for just one dinner? And this woman said, you know, uh, they saw me so unglam and dirty just now. I just wanted to show them the real me. <laughs> we are like that, right? We are our own biggest fan. And secondly, we think no one sees. We think no one sees. And no one sees the real me and how wrong we are. Many times the Lord talks about this. Luke 12, um, from verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. 
Remember, the yeast of the Pharisees that makes the thing rise up. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, nor hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Nothing is hidden. A second time, Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 17, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Hebrews 4.13 also tells us, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. So we think we are on, we, we believe we are our, our own biggest fan and we think that nobody sees. I think that's what hypocrisy is about. So what is the, the solution? A man invited his friend, his non-believing friends to go to church with him and the man says, no, 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 no I'm not going. No way. The church is full of hypocrites. And then the man who invited his non-believing friends, but that's okay. There's always room for one more. That's not the way, right? That's not the way to tackle hypocrisy by making light of it. I, I think there are only two solutions to, to hypocrisy. The one, one solution is perfection. You must be perfect. And we can't. Right? All of us know that's not a real solution uh, to be perfect. The other is simply honesty and grace. In all honesty, allow our hypocrisy to be pointed out. Let me read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 4, from verse 1 to verse 6. It says, The Holy Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. This is the legalism. Uh, abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, no, if you point these things out to the brothers about hypocritical liars and what they teach, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. And so we need grace to receive what is pointed out to us and honesty to acknowledge our hypocrisy. Then, yes, but how? Um, fear God. I think one of the first antidotes is to fear God. Fear as in being afraid of God, yes, but also fear as in supreme respect and honour for the one who loved us and gave his life for us. George Bernard Shaw once said, when there is no religion, hypocrisy becomes good taste. You can substitute that for uh, when, where there is no God, where there is no fear of God, hypocrisy becomes good taste. It is perverted. And, and don't think that God cannot see. Right? So Proverbs 9, 10 tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is, is understanding. So the fear 
the being scared of, giving high respect to the awe and the awesomeness of God is the beginning of wisdom and understanding ourselves. My father, who is not yet a believer, is very concerned about me. Uh, I'm also very concerned about me because both of us read the same newspapers and magazines. Of course, he reads in Chinese, I read in English. And he reads all these things about pastors caught in sexual sin and, and financial shenanigans and all that. And he's very concerned about me. I'm also very concerned about me. And I fear being a hypocrite. I fear tarnishing the name of the Tang family. If ever I did something wrong and I preach against it and then I get caught for it, the Tang family will, will, will be disgraced. But I fear even more tarnishing the name of God, the one who loves me and gave his life to save me. I don't want my father to be mad at me, to be sad and mad at me. And likewise, I don't want, I don't want my heavenly father to be mad at me, to be sad and mad at me. So fear God. And secondly, know the truth which sets us free. Shakespeare wrote, to thine own self be true. I even had the minor inclination that that was from the Bible. It's not. Okay, Shakespeare. So to your own self, you've got to be true. It's very tiring to be a hypocrite. When you have to craft a lie upon a lie to hide something. Jesus said, John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is God knows. And yet, God redeems. God knows that you're, you're a hypocrite and yet God forgives and God redeems. And God forgives out of His grace and He makes all things beautiful. King David is an excellent case study in hypocrisy. And by the way, Jimmy Swaggart and Jim Baker, they are now like, I don't know, business school case studies, you know, the classic one about hypocrisy. It's very unfortunate. But in the Bible, we have it. King David, a case study in hypocrisy. King David, who committed adultery and then murdered the woman's husband in a very devious way, without blood on his hands, physically, and then marries the woman. And yet, he was able to say in Psalm 51, after his great confession, search me, O God, after his hypocrisy was pointed out to him by the prophet Nathan, the fear of God went into him, and he knew the truth of his own hypocritical heart. In verse 13 of Psalm 51, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. And who is this hypocrite who presumes to teach me? And on the third day of Chinese New Year as well, yours truly a redeemed hypocrite. Thank God. Thank God. Otherwise, otherwise I might as well just quit, right? I mean, hypocrites that all of us are. Let me invite the musicians to come. There is this book, um, Disciplines of the Hungry Heart, written by Paul Stevens, uh, who is a, a lecturer in, uh, what is it, Vancouver Region, Region College. And he's talking about the ordination of a lay pastor in some church, uh, a friend, and this pastor is called uh, Joseph Hofsipian. Uh, he was a bivocational pastor, so he runs his own electronic company, and at the same time, he's a lay pastor in the church. And during the ordination service, something unplanned for happened. 
the, the lay pastor's two teenage daughters ran up to the stage and they took the mic and they said something. They said, the daughter said this, I want you to know to the congregation, I want you to know what it is like in our home. Home isn't perfect. We have our good and our bad moments as a family. But I can assure you that my father is the same person at home as he is in the pulpit and we respect and love him. Here we don't have ordination service. Or if maybe there's one long, long time ago, I can't remember. But what a great thing for your children to say that of you. What you see is what you get on the pulpit, at home, same. And I pray that we ourselves too will be the same at home, in the office, in the school, as we are here in PPH on Sundays. We are not hypocrites. In the Not A Fan guidebook that all of us have, you might have come across this discussion question. What would you like others to say about you at your funeral? Okay, Chinese New Year, but any dead man's bones are woes are funeral. It's okay, right? We're all not pantan, right? What would you like other people to say about you at your funeral? You know what I would say? I say, oh look, he's moving, he's alive. <laughs> but seriously. Uh, another quote I, I read somewhere, let's call this guy Jack, uh, who spent his life ministering to, to homosexuals to help them, to love them. And this guy Jack says, if someone would say Jack loved homosexuals, I would be proud. You know? And remember Mel White, the, the, the gay pastor, Christian writer, uh, seminary professor, the one that Philip Yancey told an off-color joke hypocritical joke about uh, a two. A TV interviewer once asked Mel White's mother, you know what Christians are saying about your son, right? They say he's an abomination. What do you think about that? And the mother thought for a while and said, well, he may be an abomination, but he's still our pride and joy. I still love my son. And that's what God says to all of us. Hypocrites. That's what God says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came from Christ Jesus. And so we are all hypocrites, but still beloved of the Father, partakers of His grace. Philip Yancey again wrote this, When time came to see myself for what I really was, a pitiful racist, actually Philippians was more than that. Huh? He was brought up in a culture where they hated the blacks. A pitiful racist, a hypocrite who cloaked myself in the gospel while living anti-gospel. When that time came, I clung like a drowning man to the promise of grace for people to deserve the opposite of grace. People just like me. And so we thank God for the grace that has been given to us. And so let's pray for the Holy Spirit power to give us grace to live the non-hypocritical life. What you see is what you get on Sunday morning in the office on Monday at home Monday night. We are the same people, saved by grace and living out the love of God. Why don't we rise as we sing this closing song together?
pray together. Why don't we just take a moment? Let's take a moment indeed to ask God to heal our hearts. Show us things unseen, things that we don't even. Maybe it's our spirit not being sensitive to the righteousness and the holiness of God. In fact, we had been inadvertent hypocrites. Lord, open our eyes to the things even unseen by us. We have not loved as we should. We have not loved as You have loved us. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Ask God also to show what breaks His heart. It's very, very clear to us from Matthew twenty-three what broke Jesus' heart as He addressed teachers of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites. That broke His heart. That He would want, He would say, "Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, I want to gather all of us under His wings like beloved children." That's what He wants to do. Gather us, cleanse us, heal us, and then send us out for the kingdom's cause as we walk on earth into eternity. Witnesses, holy, righteous, covered by the blood of Jesus. People who understand what grace is, because we have tasted it. Let us be a people of grace. Judge not, that ye not be judged. A people who are out to love the sinner, to associate even with people we don't agree with. We want to pray that that less and less would people say that the church is full of hypocrites, and more and more they will say that the church. Are people of love and grace. When no one would associate with me, a Christian did. A Christian from PPH did. People of grace. So, Lord, thank you for your word to us, Lord. Would you just pierce our heart with that double-edged sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? And as you pierce, you heal. Pouring grace upon grace, and that we are just so full of grace, so full of gratitude to a loving heavenly Father, that we will walk out of here charged up for Your kingdom's cause from here till eternity. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.